Welcome to the Modern Woodworkers Association, a podcast about woodworking from folk who woodwork. Woodworking is what we do, who we are, and what we like to talk about. So join us as we have a drink, sit around, and talk woodworking. Hi, and welcome to the 259th episode of the Modern Woodworkers Association podcast. I'm Kyle Barton of Waterfront Windsors, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Diami Plotke of the Penultimate Woodshop and Sean Wisniewski of the Corner Workshop. Tonight, we're visiting with woodworker, spoon carver, instructor, Rex Hansen. So, welcome to the show, Rex. Thanks, fellas. A, a true pleasure to be here. Excellent. Good to have you. The pleasure is ours. So before we get into to what you're up to, Rex, um, let's see what piqued our interest around there. I have a, I have a couple things, but uh, Diami, why don't you start us off? Well, Something um, you found. I, just today, I was uh, emailed by the, the kind folks at Popular Woodworking, and they were advertising their sister publications. Um, what do they call it? It's the workshop. It's the Woodshop Workshop. Woodsmith Workshop. Woodsmith Workshop. There's a lot yeah. of W's yeah. in there. I'm sorry. Yeah. It's the Woodsmith Workshop Conference. Um, it's going to be September 30th and October 1st in Urbandale, Iowa. Uh, they've got two, four, six, seven, nine speakers. Um, and uh, I think this answers the question of what happened to WIA. Mm-hmm. Yes. Looks like it's being folded into Woodsmith. So. Now... Woodsmith was recently, fairly recently, acquired by uh, Popwood, or F- I don't think they're owned by F&W anymore. Didn't F&W get bought by somebody? Um, yeah. It, yeah wh- whoever they, the ownership is, they're now sister publications. They were not until recently. Correct. Did the Woodsmith Workshop Conference exist prior, or is this the inaugural event? Does, does anybody know? I've never heard. First I've, yeah, I've never heard of them having one. And their website is fresh and new. I don't think it's, you know, <laughs> if it was five years old, it would look different. This is this is some some hot stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and it looks like and, it's, and it's good. Yeah, it looks like it's a two day conference and a, a Monday Tuesday, not a, like a weekend oh, normal. Yeah. I didn't look at the dates. Yeah, it's a Monday yeah. Tuesday. Huh. Um and. And you, it's, you know, speakers, oh yeah, uh, breakfast sessions. Um, yeah, let's see, like, who's, who are the speakers? The speakers you know, are... So you got George Mondriska, Anne of Green Gables, Briggs, uh, Cremona, Stumpy Nubs, and then Phil Huber, Chris Fitch, uh, Whitmer, Vincent Kona, and Andrew Zollner. Those last guys are with Popwood or Woodsmith. Uh, between them um but it looks like it it's more of like it's not necessarily hands-on they're presenters yeah, well, I, I guess by the schedule currently it's kind of hard to see oh yeah, it's view session topics through dovetails on the bandsaw the importance of hand tools and a power focus shops using free online tools to market your work hmm. working with slabs victor Marona, sure mm-hmm. milling your own lumber sure uh, how to keep your stumpy nubs by stumpy nubs. Mm-hmm. Nice. Building boxes. I mean, it's a pretty good round. More, um, it's it's almost like it seems more small classroom education focused 
there's no mention really of a marketplace that I see. Mm. No, so I don't think so. It's, it's kind of out there. Yeah. I mean, they're, they've got every day you've got um, a breakfast where you can mix and mingle. Mm-hmm. Then they go into, uh, there's a little talk. Then they go into breakout sessions. And they have a farm to table catered lunch and a keynote session. So I think they're, f- they're focusing on, on the environment they're in, the farm to table, and the whole atmosphere of the thing. Um, and then mm-hmm. more breakout sessions and then a closing ceremony. Yeah. yeah, I mean, if you remember, yeah, I mean, it reminds me of what we did a weekend with wood. Yeah, it, it seems it has a touch of um, a fine woodworking live in like the keynotes. Mm-hmm. But I would agree. I think it's probably going to be very similar to weekend with wood, which was a wonderful event. It was. It really was. Yeah. So there was. And, it, and it looks like the location is interesting. There, this Living History Farms, which is one of those, um, I guess. Uh, what does it say? It's an interactive outdoor history museum that educates yeah, and entertains. A thing so. that I I only know <laughs> to exist in Iowa, because yeah. <laughs> that's where what is from what I understand that's what's in Amana, Iowa, as well. Yeah. It's an old homestead that turned into a kind of a living museum. Yeah, uh, it's a suburb. I'm just looking at it on the map. It's a suburb of Des Moines. Yeah, I looked yeah, that yeah, up. It's I mean, it's, it's a Des few miles past where Wood Magazine is from. Yeah, like it's just outside town. So. Very interesting. Yeah, I think a Monday, Tuesday might be tough to get to, but uh, is that a, September 30th and October 1st? It doesn't strike me as a holiday. Am I missing something? Uh, no, it's between Labor Day and Halloween, as far as I know. It's near my anniversary, but that's well, not well what better way to show your wife that you'll still love her <laughs> than go to Iowa? <laughs> well, I, you could take her. Yeah, women love Iowa, do they? That's what I've heard. Okay. Lovely, the time I visited. Absolutely. That's very interesting. I only learned about it from you sharing it with us. So thank you for that. Oh uh, no problem. I I remain on Popular Woodworking's mailing list. Yeah. Anybody that that goes, please contact us. We'd love to talk about it. Yeah. Exactly. Now, Kyle, I know that you're going to want to get to the cool toys that you've seen on the web, Um, Mm -hmm. but. Do you want to talk uh, briefly about the other conferences that uh, seem to be going on at the same time this year? Yeah, we mentioned that um, I think a couple episodes, but it doesn't. But it uh, bears repeating. So we got the um, uh, Texas Woodworking Festival as well as Fine Woodworking Live happening, unfortunately, on the same weekend. But uh, we're here to promote both, and um, we'll be uh, we'll be as usual. Um, uh, supporting the uh, Texas Woodworking Festival and having them on and uh, and looking forward to supporting their conference. In it's the, just a in, shame that they're on the same weekend. Yeah, it is, but, it is a shame. But yeah. in the interest of fair play, I think that everyone in New England should go to the Texas Woodworking Conference. <laughs> and everyone who lives south of the Mason-Dixon line, you owe it to yourself to come to Connecticut because we're going to have fun. Even though it's in, it's in Massachusetts, you should come to Connecticut. Okay. <laughs> So who's going to host who? I mean, you can't you can't offer a ride from the airport if you're not there because you're in Texas. Um, I'm going to probably guess that I'm going to be in Massachusetts. Um, oh well, okay. So you're not among those that have to travel south. Just saying. Oh, oh, for, well, I would like to, but you know, due to my close <laughs> personal relationship with with Ben Strano, I don't think I can. Oh, oh, okay, yeah. okay, easy out. I wouldn't want to I'm let sure Ben I, down. I'm sure, I could get Ben to give you a note. Yeah. 
yeah, yeah, it, it is a shame, but um, you know, both 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 things are going to be great, and um, looking forward to, to both events. So, absolutely, yeah, for sure, for sure. So, Kai, what's special about a, a mechanical pencil? Well. Let's see. About I don't know, a month or so ago in July, um, Chris Schwartz, uh, Lost Art Press, put on his blog the Pentel Graph Gear 1000 mechanical pencil is the best thing since sliced bread. And um, how many of you bought? Am- I just one. I just bought one, and uh, about ten bucks, something like that, maybe a little less. Um, but. Um, I bought one just to try it out, and yeah, it's the best thing since sliced bread for mechanical pencils. It's it's kind of unique in that, um, you know, when you have a mechanical pencil, it has that real thin piece of metal, and then the lead comes out of that. Mm-hmm. And that little thin piece of metal somehow gets bent all the time. But with this one... It has a little clicker on it um, where the you know where you would attach it to a shirt or whatnot, um, and you click that back and it retracts the entire thing. That little thin uh, metal tube oh. retracts that back up into there, hmm. and then when you're ready to use it again, you just hit the plunger at the uh, top of the uh, pencil and it pushes the little um, the little tube back out with the lead still exposed, so you can hmm. use the sit there you know and then if you hit that plunger again it advances the lead of course like any mechanical pencil but uh it's kind of interesting you know it protects the lead and it, how, how good is the built-in eraser um well oh, it's, re- it, it's one of those erasers where you have to take the the plunger part out to use mm-hmm. and i hate that i mm-hmm. and they and I've never found an eraser on the end of a pencil that works worth a crap oh anyway. oh, we, I, oh i don't know the brand but we use them at work that's why oh, we really? use the pencils we use at work is because of the okay. eraser. It's a phenomenal so, eraser. I always, always have a, a little um, – it's kind of a green, almost translucent uh, eraser that I use, and it takes uh, lead off wood like you wouldn't believe. So, okay, off, off wood, that might need a different compound. But yeah. uh, in, in my engineering world, yeah. Rex, Rex backed me up on this. Good pencils are called lead holders. Because right. that's what they're designed to do, and I have the downgraded version of that all-metal, fancy retractable version of a Pentel lead holder mm. in 0.5, 0.7, and 0.9 diameter lead, and they all work pretty much the same way, except their erasers are fantastic. But uh, it's a white compound and it's very soft and supple, but works great yeah. on on mylar and on paper. Yeah. Um, and I, and I haven't tried the eraser, to be honest with you, because I just pick up the one I use all the time. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So it may be, it may be, it may be good, but you know, I don't want to sit there and you know take the cap off or take the plunger cap off and then do the erasing and then put it back in. I just grab my little See? translucent green eraser and go. When I'm <laughs> marking my pieces, I will only use my Vitruvian workshop pencils. Artisanal. <laughs> I think I think mechanical pencils have been around since I was in college. I think that was back when we used stone tablets and chisels to uh, <laughs> take notes with. But uh, do you use one in the shop, Rex, or do you use a regular pencil, or do you just not make mistakes and use a pen? I use a regular wood pencil anymore. But all through college, I was, and then maybe the first few years of my engineering career, it was definitely mechanical pencil, and I always envied this. I can't remember the name. I had I I had the same one that. 
um, you fellows have the you know the the black or the blue pen tail. Yep. Um, I never used the point five because it was always breaking. I became it's a very easy to guy after a while, and then I had the Stedler erasers that were white. The pink compound was horrible. The, mm-hmm. the white, the soft white, was excellent, and I use those a lot. And I need, and small erasers have a good purpose because when you're working on mylars, you need some small racers to get in there or you got to use with back in the old days us old timers know is the eraser shield so you only erase the part you want to do a race still have one with a bent up corner in the drawer of my my office (laughs) it makes a good bookmark doesn't it they do they do but i remember there was a couple of these really fancy black ones that were kind of more like the pens that people are turning on the lathe now and the whole mechanism was similar to what Kyle's talking about. The metal would come all the way out and then it would be cracked back in. But I think they were like 50 bucks. And at the time, that was a lot of a lot of money for me. So I never quite bit the bullet on that one. Yeah, this, I mean, they can be pricey and, and hard to justify maybe. But this, these, uh, the Graph Gear 1000s go for, yeah. they're nine bucks. Yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty good price. Yeah, yeah. And like I said, because it pulls that little that tube where the lead comes out back in there, you, you know, especially around the shop, you uh, doesn't uh, doesn't bang around and get bent and trashed. In fact, I was not using a mechanical pencil at all till I bought this one because uh, I trashed all the ones I, you know, I bought like five or six and steadily through the years they all bit the dust. You're pretty hard on your gear. I don't remember ever bending any of those metal tips. But- <laughs> They fall off the bench and hit my concrete floor. And <laughs> oh, there yeah. you go. Hello, goodbye. <laughs> so that's that's what happens to to most of them. But anyway, so you know, anyway, it writes well. I got the point five millimeter one. I really haven't had any problems with the lead either. So I don't know with the lead breaking. So um, hmm. I was kind of impressed there. So I need to definitely don't, figure don't out. Don't extend it too far. And don't press too hard. Exactly. And well, Kyle's a very gentle man. So very gentle touch. That's right. That's right. <laughs> So moving right along. So um, the next thing I saw was um, the uh, Veritas flush chisel and handle and blade set. So this is one of those um, chisels is kind of like a bent net chisel so that you can use it in the middle of the piece to, you know, trim something flush. And it's pretty it's pretty little interesting uh a piece of kit here is that it has a is it has a, has different sized chisels and then it has a replaceable handle. So looks like with the kit you get four different sized blades from very wide to narrow, and you can use a handle to put it on there. Um, the only thing that's interesting is the price. It's a little pricey, <laughs> just a tad. Well, it's cheaper than four good chisels. Yeah, yeah, and look cheaper than si- four good chisels. That's, that's the true. size of those chisels. I mean, you yeah. can you can grind yeah. those back for decades. For yeah. for yeah. listeners who are not oh. familiar with the item, first of all, the price that Kyle's referring to is uh, two hundred and nine dollars. Yeah. Um, and then if you get, I don't know what the difference is between the two hundred nine dollar one and the two hundred twenty five dollar one. It's a set of four flushing chisel blades, handle. Oh, and a roll. And that's the intro. And the price. roll. You get you get the roll price. for two hundred nine, and then yeah, the normal. Just, to get it without the roll, it costs more. Oh, there you go. That, well, that little that little star says until October fifteenth, yeah. we're offering yeah. um, the set. But includes. Kyle, do you want to describe 
you talked about how the handles interchanging, but I had only seen this in their email they sent out about it. I didn't actually look at the page. I assumed that the handle switched in a different mechanism. So describe how these chisels are built to be um, flush chisels. Well, basically, so you have the actual blade of the chisel, and then where the handle attaches is actually a little bracket, and it's at an angle, so it makes the handle rise above your work. So if you're familiar with a um, gooseneck uh, or cranks chisel, it's very, very similar to that, so you can actually do flush cutting operations in the middle of the board without worrying about the handle hitting the board. Right. So it, it's great in that angle. Now, the way it attaches and detaches to each of the handle is simply via a little threaded um, socket. So yeah, it, looks, it looks like yeah. an old or the newer sweetheart style handles, except mm, there's yeah. a metal metal tip there with a thread on the end yeah. of it. Yeah. And that tube, it looks like, and there's a little detailed image on their page where it's the underside of the blade and showing the, how that thread threaded socket works. Yeah. You can tell that that little tube off to, is connected to the blade by a screw set in from the bottom. Yeah. So yeah. it's yeah, not like it's welded on. That blade is just a big ass blade. Yeah. Long and and of its width, but uh, interesting. It's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's it's kind of unique. Now, and um, but you know, I thought it was worth sharing. It's looked what like metal? an interesting solution. What metal are they using? What the PV, uh, the PMV11. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah, which is great. That's great mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, if, if you needed a whole set of, you know, gooseneck or cranked chisels, this would definitely be be uh, worth looking at. Because how, how wide is that one? The biggest one is an inch and a half. Yeah. They go inch and a half, inch, three quarters, and half inch. Yeah. What kind of work would you need to do to need a set of flush chisels? Lots of uh, All the bow ties in the world. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, flush cutting stuff. I think they, I think they show in their little video about using it for inlays. To you know, once you put inlay in to flush cut that, mm-hmm. um, you know, I've used it for flush cutting. You know, exactly butterflies or dowels. Right, or but that's that's really all for stuff like that. The same thing, and, you know, whether you're cutting a, bu- a dove, t- a yeah. butterfly, or a dowel, or or yeah. an inlay, it's it's the same technique. Yeah. I'll, I'll put it this way. In the work I do, and even when I was building um, cases and stuff, I have one, I think it's a one-inch wide cranked uh, uh, chisel, and I've never found the need to have anything bigger or smaller. But mm-hmm. that's just me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the setup like for is, is a question. Yeah. One good one that may mm-hmm. be easier to sharpen because the blade is long and flat and not the non-attached handle necessarily, maybe. Um, yeah. But that's... Hey. um. Yeah. It's, yeah, interesting. And if you just wanted to buy one, like the one-inch chisel with the handle, it's seventy-eight bucks, and yeah, so each that's, one of those that's a reasonable. That's a reasonable yeah. price. Yeah. Yes, for for a good chisel, if you want, I mean, an inch mm-hmm. and a half, it's eight, eighty-four bucks and, and good. Yeah, I mean, I maybe it's a very it's a very specialty tool, yep. but in like I'm with you. If if you need one, get one. And uh, and that'll probably do most of the work you need. I mean, I the the slicing action of doing some of that work, the wider the better. I think half inch. That's that's down to thin dowels at best, mm-hmm. because you want something that can kind of meet across this entire blade as you're moving it, yep. or or a majority of it, not smaller than. Would the, you the piece would you have working. a situation where you're trying to get it inside something, so you need the narrower one? Because I'm thinking mm-hmm. you'd only want the wide one. But what if the wide one doesn't fit where you're trying to trim? Yeah, 
I mean, that, yeah, that, that's the only thing that the that that's interesting about their pricing structure here is they had you can buy a handle only for like 20 bucks it handles 20 bucks but they don't give you an option to buy just the blade well they want you to buy the set and then buy more handles so that you have four full ones not well exactly <laughs> yeah handle only here's the roll and then blade yeah. and handle blade and handle blade and handle blade and handle, blade and handle. um because it'd be nice if you you could say hey i want to get two sizes and a handle you know i would maybe guess that after the official release mid-october that they may mm. offer blade alone yeah that's because, because yeah. something happened to the blade that you got before like yeah. i don't need another handle really <laughs> you know <laughs> uh before we move off this uh this area of the podcast could i slip in a uh an unwarranted review sure um Long-time listeners may recall that I thought I was going to get the Rockler Sanding Bow for Father's Day. Oh, yeah, And that's as right. it's August, I'll let everyone know that I did. <laughs> so, uh, next question. Have you used it? Uh, of course not. Um, because <laughs> the Rockler Sanding Bow takes, I believe it is one inch long by some weird length sandpaper that is like 30 bucks from Rockler, and it, I just haven't bought it. Uh, so the bow comes with zero sandpaper, and I've not bought the special sandpaper it needs, and I haven't had much t- shop time anyway, so I've not tried to like Ooh, figure out another paper. So it's got proprietary sandpaper? You, is there any way you can take a sheet or something and I, make it? I don't know. Uh, maybe. You don't know? Okay. It's, 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 it looks like it's just long enough that it would be longer than a sheet. Um, but even without putting paper in it, a couple comments is that it is absolutely typical – Rockler build quality where it's probably nicer than I would make myself, but seriously flawed in many ways that are just shy of making it a deal killer. Um, there are three knurled knobs that, you know, twist on threaded posts and the threaded posts mm-hmm. are simply bolts that fit in. And there's a hex recess on the other side that locks the bolt head in and they're all too short. So by the time you've loosened it enough to like open up the, the jaw to hold the paper, the threaded no- the knurled knob comes off. So I have to go to the hardware store and buy three longer bolts. Um, and then there are these gears in the middle. If, if people are familiar with the sanding bow design, I went with this one rather than the Veritas one because the Veritas one I think is bigger. I'm not 100% sure. Um, but the Veritas mm-hmm. one is a, like a, a true bow and it has a handle on either end. And it seems the, the bow portion of it is, is flat and flexible, and it doesn't seem like you could get a good grip on it. So I think that the Veritas one is truly a two-handed uh, device. And I was looking for a one-handed one, which is why I went with the Rockler, because the Rockler, the bow portion is not really flexible, um, and it's got a handle in it. Mm-hmm. But it does have a pivot in the middle, so you can adjust the length of the, of the sanding portion. Well, there's mm-hmm. these interlocking teeth in that pivot, and there's a ton of play in them. Even when I have the knurled knob tighten as much as I can, there's a lot of play in the head. Now, presumably, when you put it under tension by, by having sandpaper in it and push it against a piece, that's probably not going to matter, but they could have made these, uh, I guess it's a plastic casting, they could have made them quite a bit snugger um, to make it a, a little bit of a better product, so... Uh, it was only like, I think, 35 or $40. I, I'm saying that right off the top of my head. I really could be way off there, so I apologize if someone pulls up the Rockler website and I'm, I'm wrong. Uh, at that price, it's probably 
what how much is it? Fifteen. Fifteen. Oh, at fifteen dollars, it's probably worth getting. It is certainly worth getting as a gift. Um, just mm-hmm. ask for the paper also. <laughs> um, I think it will get a whole bunch of use in my shop. Yeah. Um, but I think I'm going to have to buy new bolts for it and break down and buy the right sandpaper and and then I'll give a, a more uh, yeah more warranted well, review. But those are my initial thoughts on it. Yeah. Well, it looks like the Lee Valley one is twenty one fifty for the small, twenty four fifty for the large, forty bucks, thirty nine fifty for both. But they all come with sandpaper. See the, yeah. and. And it was extra sandpaper, even. That is very good. And it, I wouldn't say it was the price that led me to the Rockler one. It was the fact yeah. that you, it's a one-handed bow versus the Veritas one being two-handed. That was my mm-hmm. why I went one versus the other. Yeah. So if you if you look on their their image on Rockler's website, they show the – what I've got is the turning pack of rolls of, of yeah. sandpaper. And I think that may be the intention. That's so the one for, they, they – they, yeah, I mean, I'm staring at the instructions right now. That's the one they tell yeah. you to use. Yeah, and so, I mean, there's a range of like 150 to 600 grit sandpaper in multiple rolls across a cardboard box, all of one-inch diameter or, or width, I should say. Uh, cut off a piece and string it in Yeah, there and they and are long it. rolls so that the fact that you can adjust this thing for different length bows, mm-hmm. it, it does kind of all work, assuming it's decent quality sandpaper. But yeah. I was just a little – a little irked that taking it out of the box, you know, my wife didn't think to buy sandpaper for it. It was just, I asked mm-hmm. for this and she got it for me for Father's Day. Um, it could have come with a piece. <laughs> just one. Yeah. Ah, Rockler. Anyway. Ah. <laughs> well, anyway, so let's, uh, let's move on to what's in the shop. So before we get started, Diami, what's in your shop or where have you been? Um, I have <laughs> been, uh, I've been not, wor- wor- not woodworking. <laughs> Um, I've been to, uh, to Europe for a couple weeks. I've been to Boy Scout camp and working. The only thing that even tangentially replies to woodworking is, uh, while I was away, I picked up a, a set of three plywood postcards. They're like eighth inch plywood and they're printed on one side with these beautiful images of Maine and they all say Maine on them. Mm-hmm. And I bought them in Glasgow. <laughs> um, <laughs> But they're really cool postcards, and that's really the only, the only thing we, we even half related to wood that I've had anything to do with over the past uh, past few months. Though I did, I I fixed the gate. My kids broke the gate I installed last year, and I fixed. Oh no! That. How did they break it? They climbed on it, and it wasn't built to withstand that. Um, well, I made a mistake of it's a it's a stockade fence, mm-hmm. and. There's a stock. One of the pieces of slat that's on the gate portion is what the we'll call it the tongue that that slides into the little catch to latch the mm-hmm. gate. Yeah. And the tongue was screwed with screws that didn't go all the. They went all the way through the slat, but didn't really bite into the gate itself. Mm-hmm. And the slat was just nailed onto the gate with I don't know probably a dozen stainless steel brads, but that's all it was were brad nails. Um, and I'm not entirely sure what my kids did, but they managed to put, that whole slat came off and it was still latched to the lock, but the door was loose behind it. Oh, dang. Um, so I took all those nails out. I put the slat back on. I nailed it back on with a bunch of brads. I added a bunch of screws. I used longer screws. So now that tongue piece is screwed through the slat into the gate itself. So, um, yeah, I, it, 
it was a quick little fix, but it was again made of wood, and that's that's really the only project I've worked on over the past few months has been that gate. And uh, certainly next time I get out in the shop, that'll be what I continue to work on because I still have the gate on the other side of the yard that's only half finished. Mm-hmm. I might have to send you a carving gouge and a piece of wood. So you have to do a spoon carving. That's a project you can squeeze in almost any time. <laughs> <laughs> you may have to. Uh, I may have to. I. I, I it may have come to the point where I might have to carve with actually a sharp object rather than a burr. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I could see you on a roof of a building in Manhattan carving you a spoon. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if I could carve while I drove, I would be a carving maniac. Something's not safe about that. That's probably not safe. No, yeah. I'm, I'm, not, I, I'm probably not going to try that, but um, that's really the thing I do the most these days. Drive? Yeah. I do about uh, about thirty five thousand miles a year in the greater New York City area. Oof. Uh, but yeah. that that being said, um, that just pays for the shop. It just doesn't give me the time to be in the shop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, exactly. Kyle, what's going on in your shop? Well, hold on, I'm, I'm going to step in front oh. and say my my contribution to this portion is merely my uh, application for the ticket to ride on the coattails of whatever Kyle's about to talk about. Go. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, um, I think I made mention that I was uh, working on a uh, a drilling jig, for lack of a better term, for um, at the last podcast that we had. Um, That has kind of exploded. So (laughs) I made this um, drilling jig for it's for chair makers. It's for Windsor chairs, Um, and basically what it does is it helps you drill stretchers. Uh, in legs. So the jig itself actually replaces the leg and it has a end bearing on it that you put a drill extension through and you're able to then just set that bearing to the height of the mortise of the leg you replaced, point it, point your drill at the other leg and then just drill right through it. And it takes the guesswork out of having to measure angles. It takes a guess guesswork or the potential harm that could involve a leg is when you take it out of the chair to drill the mortise. If you accidentally get the angle the wrong way, well, guess what? Uh, you you just trashed your leg. So the I, leg actually stays in the seat so that when you drill it, you're at the proper angle and you're drilling it right in there. So, Kyle, I, let me ask, see if I understand this, because I've seen pictures of it. Yeah. Um, but this is the first yeah, time I've heard you describe it. To and describe not- this, trying to describe this is going to be hard without actually seeing it. So if what? anyone's really interested in it, check my Instagram account. You know, absolutely. And what is that Instagram feed, Kyle? Uh, Barton.Kyle. There you go. Instagram, the only um, social media platform that matters. <laughs> uh, <laughs> squeeze that one in there. So, no, honestly, I, I watched those videos. Did you? When did you put those up? Yesterday? And, yeah, last night. And, so, and, uh, and I, as as I was eating breakfast, I was finding them this morning, and uh, and I I I had seen the images, and and we talked about it before, and that that does exactly as you described it to to me prior, and it, it is a, a brilliant idea. This goes beyond uh, dovetail jigs or, <laughs> you know, or anything of that sort. This is a, a, a an operation between the, the splayed legs of a chair that you've got to drill an accurate parallel hole between mm-hmm. two things. And you just made it measurable 
and guidable. Yeah. Now, you know, to back up a little bit, so <laughs> um, there is a method called the direct drill method, and that is basically where you have both of the legs that you're going to build that you're going to put a stretcher in between. You have those in the chair seat, and you clamp a board or a clamp or something like that at the height of the stretcher of one leg and rest your drill extension and then drill it into the opposing leg. Okay. The the issue with that is that opposing leg, when you drill into it, you're not going to be directly in line with uh, where that stretcher goes. So you have to twist that leg slightly. Mm -hmm. Right. And I've had good luck. And I think Drew landed land. Yeah. Easy for me to say. Uh, Drew Lannister um, came up with that years ago, probably 10, 20 years ago in, in his in his seminal book, but about building Windsor chairs and post and rung chairs. But um, and that idea caught on or uh, re- revived, I would say, a couple years ago. And I'd used it to good luck uh, or good success, except when I tried to do a box stretcher and a box stretcher is where you have a stretcher going between all four legs that kind of forms a box. Mm-hmm. Most, a lot of Windsor chairs use a H stretcher where you got a stretcher going between two legs mm-hmm. and then a center stretcher going between the two stretchers that connect those yeah. legs. Kyle, mm-hmm. let me ask you if you're just, yeah. if you're, if you're kind of lining it up, twisting the leg a little bit, drilling it and twisting yeah. the leg back, why doesn't that work with a box stretcher? Cause wouldn't you drill your holes before you put all your stretchers in? Well, you drill your holes, but if you get that, uh, when you twist that, if you get that a little bit out of alignment Mm because you're drilling two holes in each leg, then what can happen is, um, and there are some ways to do this, and maybe I didn't do it the correct way when I tried it, but um, what can happen is you get a parallel, man, what is wrong with my mouth? a parallelogram. Yeah, exactly. What you said, Sean. Yes. So. Uh, parallelogram. So if you um, and I've had that happen now, in most cases, you're not going to notice it. In fact, uh, Diami, when you visited the house, you saw that black uh, prototype stool yeah. I had. Uh, that's the one I did the box stretcher. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hold, hold it. Hold it. Yeah. You had me sit in a chair with parallelogram stretchers. Oh, yes, my God. exactly. But you did notice it. The humanity. <laughs> exactly. Don't ever oh, do that to me again, Kyle. <laughs> but but anyway, so there was that direct drill method. And like I said, I did that and I went, you know, this isn't really working out for me. So I went back to my tried and true method, which is uh, a method that uh, Peter Galbert uses. But I was reviewing some videos um, that Curtis Buchanan had out there. No, hold on. He, what what was what is Peter Galbert's tried and true method? If it's not the rotating, if it's not the rotating, what he does, it's a, called a common angle. So what you do is you have a board, you have all your legs in your seat, and you have a board that has an angle on it. It doesn't matter what that angle is. And um, you draw that angle on each of the legs. And then when you go to drill for the stretchers, you you make uh, each of those legs, you take the legs out of the seat, you put them in another fixture, and that angle, you make that level with the top of your bench, so it's parallel with the top of your bench. And then you can then you can use that board that has that angle on it to then, um, to then stand it on the angle. You'd have to see it. Trying to describe this is hard without pictures. And then you can use that, that board that you drew that angle on to actually um, be the angle that you need to drill for your stretchers. Um, I'm doing that 
great injustice, <laughs> that method, great injustice, <laughs> but get his book. I mean, not for this method. I mean, for anything you want to know about Windsor chairs, but a chair maker's notebook, but that's, that's the method that he came up with and it works fine. Um, the, and you know, I've used it for years. And like I said, there's a thousand ways of doing this. And I just think I, what I came up with was just a little bit, uh, a little bit more foolproof and a lot quicker, and I think um, as accurate as any of the other methods out there. Well, yeah, I think you you took a, a little bit of alignment and yeah. guesswork out of something that is trying to drill a parallel hole yeah. above and at splitting. Yeah. You don't you don't have to do any math. You don't have to do you don't have to calculate any angles. Right. Um, it, it's it's very easy now. Um, oh yeah. So I was watching those videos that Curtis Buchanan had on there and he had this little jig that he was putting in where the post, uh, for arm goes into, cause when you have an armrest on a chair, you have the arm post that actually supports the end of that arm. And then the arm rest is, is mortised into the back post. So he had this little jig that you put in the arm post to locate the mortise for the back post. And I saw that and I've seen it more than once. I saw it, you know, probably a year or two ago and I saw it again and then everything just clicked in my head and go and I said you could use that to drill stretchers for legs and then I started scurrying the internet to find out what the what the best way to put something like that was together came across the rod in bearings and uh, you know this all all this stuff happens at like you know one o'clock in the morning <laughs> and you know I'm placing orders with McMaster car and Amazon and stuff like that <laughs> get some stuff in so um but uh but it's uh it's interesting yeah so kyle let me so, see if you yeah. can walk me through how yours works yours is mm. it's a post which mm -hmm. is a threaded rod and uh, and a shank and then there's a bearing on the top is that yep the gist and of it, it and it has a base and uh the thread rod goes into the base and that base is drilled you know there's a there's room for a that depending on which base you have, that thread rod can go in there either four and a half inches or or um, or two and a half inches and uh, in for the small base. And uh, then that base just fits into the ringed mortise for either a leg or a post hole. So, and you have to have it set so that the bearing relative the, to the base is the height of the mortise relative to the top of the leg. Is that correct? Correct. correct. So then. Do you set that height with the leg just loose and you can line the base up with the end of the leg and you line, you, you adjust the threaded rod so that the bearing is even with where you want the hole and that's how you get the length? Um, no. Uh, <laughs> okay. Well, okay. Well, what you do is you set the height of the stretchers in each of the legs. So let's say for, um, for argument's sake that it was six inches. Well, let's say most of them are about 10 to 11 inches off the bottom of the seat. So let's okay. say it's 10 inches off the bottom of the seat. So, um, so basically you take a pair of dividers. Well, you are, you've already marked the height of your, of your, um, of your stretchers. So you take a pair of dividers and set those at whatever that height is. Let's say it's 10 inches. And then the post, then you put the jig in one of the leg holes. It's at the top of that bearing at that 10 inch mark mm -hmm. or 
and then basically you put your drill extension in there and you um, you can and you fire it into the other leg at that exact height. How do you know that you you want your drill extension to be parallel with the seat, correct? You want your it doesn't doesn't have to be parallel Ooh. with the seat. You want the drill extension aimed where you want the mortise in the other leg. Right, I but guess what you want you want yeah. the the height off the off the chair base to be equal where the center of the bearing is and the hole you intend Correct. to drill is. It yeah. will be parallel necessarily. You don't have to measure it as parallel though. You just yeah. can you can like what he what Kyle did with with his dividers was set a height and then check the height on his jig. Oh, okay, so you set the and height. Those two lines pass at, each other. In you a set the height line. at the jig. You move. You move the dividers over to the leg, and you you have your extension bit hit the top of the divider. And now you know it's the yeah. same length. Yeah. Yep. Because you have to yeah. do it that way, or else it, the the mortises are not going to line up as you go around with your four um, your four right. stretchers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. For, well, for a box stretcher, what you you would want to do is. You know, what you'd want to do is uh, actually put two stretchers and two legs. So, and put those in the chair and you got those immobilized and then mark for the other two stretchers and take one set of legs out, drill those, swap it in, rinse and repeat, and you're done. Um, I will, I have a, I have a demo like I said, trying to talk about this in the abstract, I'm sure listeners are going, what the hell are you saying? What, <laughs> da, 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 da. You really got to see it. Um, and once you see it, it's going, oh, yeah, it's that simple. Um, but, um, yeah, so check out uh, check out my Instagram account. I have, a, I have kind of an overview video. I got something in depth about the actual uh, jig I'm going to sell. I also have a demo on uh, doing an H-stretcher in a chair. And then Friday, I will be releasing the video about the box stretcher. In fact, I uh, recorded that today. So I... I- I'm going to jump right to where I noticed that you offered this up, that you're going to like start an Etsy shop or make it for mm-hmm. sale. What kind of feedback are you getting in just the first day of you doing that? Um, I think I'm somewhere around. I mean, we're, we're talking the, the large Windsor chair maker community. Oh, I know. Market. I know. I know. <laughs> I know of but, at least one guy but, that said, "Where do I send the check?" Yeah, I, I bet Rex. I know, I know. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I've I've had I think I'm somewhere almost twenty, maybe over twenty, really interested folks. That's uh, awesome. No, that and, uh, yeah, Rex, and, I'm, glad you, I'm and, glad you chimed in there, Rex. You mentioned before you've built Windsor chairs. I've, mm. I've built I've built a settee, and then um, the goal is to build a dining room set, and then I also have this great desire to be able to d- build like a child rocker and give give a couple of those away to like make a wish or something like oh, that sure. for an auction every year. Sure. So let me ask you this. Kyle's idea and produced item here, I, I'm not going to call it an invention, although I think it is. Uh, how, how much easier or beneficial would that be in your next project doing Windsor Chair? Oh, when I saw, okay, so I saw his video. I didn't know the videos were going to be, or his demos were going to come out this fast. So I'm just kind of looking last night to see who's updated anything. And I came across, I think I saw two of them last night. So I uh, think there's three. There's like half of one and then half of another. And then I didn't get to the third one. 
But I saw the first two, and I looked at that, and I thought, geez, I don't have to stretch my neck one way and try and look another way, you know, where you're trying to look two different directions really quick and you keep moving so that your drill's in the right place. Um, the truth is, I thought it was pretty simple, and I thought the components, I go, I mean, if you make stuff, you look at that and you go, oh, I could probably make this. But then again, I thought Kyle's price was very reasonable, and I thought, why would I spend my time making that when I could buy that and be making a chair? And I thought, the way that, here's what I think the beauty of it is. I think it's going to take a lot of the guesswork out. It'll be faster because it takes a lot of the marking out. When you when you take your, your dividers and you mark that, Kyle um, actually took an awl and put a little hole in each leg that he was going to drill, so he had a place to start with his bit. The only real question I have is he had that stop collar, and I, I don't know where he got that, and that's not part of the kit, so I'm going to have to figure out where to do The stop collars I have kind of, Let's just say they tend to slip a little bit, and I don't yeah. like them. Yeah, yeah. a good one. Yeah, the, I, those. I, the, let, me, let me interrupt you there. Those. I um, and I do it. Yeah, I do a shout out uh, on my on the uh, box stretcher. But those, I've only had them for about a week. But uh, Sean Murphy uh, makes those, and they are absolutely fantastic. The stop collars. They actually lock really solidly onto your drill bit. There you yeah. And I then did. you know, he, he, then he used that those small, really um, no tear out drill bits. And I wonder if he has stock in that Japanese company. <laughs> or not. But use those, and I, he has told us where to get those a time or two. Yeah. He's been glowing it's a great about tools. Yeah, yeah. No, it's really cool. I, I think we need a tagline, and I've been thinking about the relationship. You know how magic is smoke and mirrors. You know, mm-hmm. so this is this is like no l- mirrors or lasers required. There's something in there. There's a tagline. <laughs> something about magic. Windsor stretchers with know. no wires. Yeah, no wires needed. Uh, yeah. I, yeah, there's something. Uh, As I was something. driving like I said, home tonight, I was wondering if, if Kyle could make something easier than just using the two lasers or the two mirrors. To put to put your leg holes into the seat, I go. We need something easier, like Kyle's new tool, to do that because that's a little well, bit of the intimidation. That's intimidating to do. Sure. It well, is. if if you saw my uh, post on Sunday, it just said I'm working on something. Oh, okay. Oh, <laughs> mic drop. <laughs> All right. Let me ask you two questions, so, Kyle. Yeah. Does your does this uh, does this fancy new Wang dangled invention? Use your fancy <laughs> Japanese drill bits? No, it doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't have I, to. It, I, I basically made this for the, the typical um, half-inch shanked bits that you're going to use. You're going to use a in probably 99.9% of the holes you drill for stretchers are going to be 5 eighths. And I, I need to come back to that, too, uh, and explain that a little bit more. But... Um, about the actual drill bit. So I made this to use um, half-inch shank drill bits. Uh, the Japanese bits are a quick connect, the quarter-inch quick connect. I do have some designs in my head uh, to make those work, and uh, I'll be working on that also. But, you know, it's basically just taking everything that's a half-inch and making it quarter inch it's not that big of a deal but um i I do need to do that and i probably will now the drill bits and this is an update that happened today i have a a, you know friend of the show david diard i sent him uh one of my uh 
I guess, what would you want to call it? Not prototype, pre-production models. Okay. And uh, he's been using this. And, we, and we've discovered two things right off the bat that, that, that was interesting is he had the typical half-inch drill rod extension that he was using to drill his holes. We found out that that does not fit, does not work with this system. You actually need what's called a shaft. A um, and you half inch shaft, which is about two thousandths undersized, that will fit in the rod end bearing and spin freely in there. And um, so, if you have a half inch drill rod extension, it's not going to work in this jig. However, with the kit I'm going to be selling, I include an eighteen inch shaft, so you have oh, that. As well, I well, I like that you're going to include that in the kit because yeah. I was thinking if someone was going to use their own shaft. Even if it could kind of work, you're going to lose some of the accuracy that your yeah. rig builds in. And a I little bit. Is that accurate? Yeah. I mean, and that's a, if this if this was just merely some sort of just V V to sit in to guide you. Yeah. You've got all sorts of diameters to play with. This is like, I mean, it's it's for the common size. If you want to go overboard, you start finding those bearings for different size shafts and and extensions and whatever. Yeah. But you know, for right now, awesome that you're you're. Ex- you're, you're offering up a, a, a shaft that fits it, yeah. Which which is what you designed it with, which is awesome. You know, yeah. We know well, what works. I want to do is supply something that has everything that you don't have to, you know, kind of kind of say, okay, well, this has you know almost everything, but I still need to order this part from this person or something like that. And uh, so I don't want to get into that. And also, you know, I don't want to have a customer service headache. You know. Right. Going, yeah. Yeah. Going, hey, you know, this is what you need to do. Well, why didn't you include that? So um, the other thing that we found out actually today um, and he, he was using it. And I'm working in this. This might be an update to the kit is um, what I've always used for drilling are these um, Brad point bits. that have a extremely long spur. It's the ones that Peter Galbert recommends in his book. In fact, he has a whole thing about how to grind those. Um, And uh, there's a um, so those are the bits that I that I use. Now, uh, David was using a bit that didn't have quite as long enough, quite as long of of a spur. Mm -hmm. And he was using that in a double bobbin leg where you're drilling into a little V groove. And he had some issues with the, because it was such a, at such an angle, he's having issues with the, um, knicker hitting before it could get up to full speed on the leg. And, And so what I'm thinking about doing now is going ahead and including a five inch, five eighths inch bit with that long spur. So that's probably uh, worthwhile. Yeah, yeah, because I don't want to run into any issues with, with folks. So, um, you know, and, and that's why I wanted to get this out to somebody that's, you know, uh, more of a chair builder than I am. So we can run down these issues before I actually, you know, start selling and shipping these things. So right now I'm in the in the and working in trying to source uh, those um, those uh, long spur Brad points. Um, if worse comes to worse, I'll start grinding them myself. But uh, there is a uh, someone out there. I don't want to say any names at this point. That that was that was uh, offering those for sale. So I'm going to see if he's still doing that and see uh, if I can work up a deal with him. But anyway, um, so you know, it's a continually evolving thing. But I think I could probably uh, start producing these in two to four weeks. Oh so. wow, that quickly. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've, I've got almost everything worked out um, as far as the, the main, I guess the main thing is actually doing the body because I've kind of worked out, you know, you got two bodies, you got a large body and a small body to give you the range. And the bodies and the are wooden. So you're, you're turning them. Yeah. Turning them. And I've got the system worked out on how, how to turn them. Um, there is a, there, there is one more little uh, improvement I can make to make uh, turning them a little bit faster, which means I need to buy an accessory to my uh, chuck. So, <laughs> 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 uh, I got I got that on order. So, um, but no, it's 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 looking really good. And like I said, um, you know, some people may be rolling their eyes, going, "What in the world are y'all talking about?" But believe me, once you see this thing in action, you go, oh, that is very simple <laughs> and it's very accurate and it's very fast. Uh, it, it amazes me. <laughs> it looks very, very cool. Question in yeah. your jig. What's the what's the greatest distance you can you can span to where you're that uh, ball bearing type collar What's the distance from the bottom of the seat that you can. The longest you can get for, say, someone wanted to make stool, you know, stool. Some stools yeah. are bar height, and it looked to me like it may not go two feet, but it may go. You can make shorter stools. Yeah, the the um, the way I have it now is I got four different lengths of rod uh-huh. that, that come with the kit. So the the longest one will get you up to twenty two inches off oh, the bottom of the seat. Oh, that's good. So, so yeah, that that should work out fine for a stool. In fact. Um, yeah. In fact, that's what um, David was uh, using the jig on were some perch seats that he was making. Now, those aren't, yeah. you know, bar height stools. Yeah, but, that's exactly what I had in mind, the perch seats. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, I've I've made plenty of prototypes of bar height stools. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so I, I know it had to reach at least at least that height. Most of my stretchers are, I believe, uh, somewhere between 16 and 18 inches off the bottom of the seat. If you wanted it to be a bigger distance, would it not be easy for the user to just get a bigger piece of threaded rod, or does it start yeah. to deflect and lose your accuracy? Uh, no, no, I haven't had it. I haven't had that issue with it deflecting. Um, the threaded rod I'm using is basically a very high tensile strength threaded rod. That's one of the interesting things is the is the rod is actually a very fine pitch. It's uh, it's uh, twenty threads per inch, um, so it's it's a very fine pitch, um, which gives you a lot of micro adjustability built in to to the jig. Um, but um, no, it shouldn't shouldn't deflect. So one other well, question: something. If I happen to have one of the no longer produced crucible dividers, would it be more accurate? <laughs> <laughs> it, it could be if you were laying out smaller things um, for <laughs> for for the for um, you know measuring off the top. I don't know what the actual span of those crucible dividers are. I have a pair, so. I should take a look at it, but I think it's probably like six, seven inches, but you're, you're dealing with, with, you know, 10, 14 inches. So you need a pair of big big dividers. Yeah. Yeah. That will not be included with the kit, but you can find those anywhere and you, and worst comes to worst. You can use a big compass too. I was going to use my thumb. Heck, I was thinking you could use a story stick, but I like the divider idea better. Yeah, the dividers are, are, are really nice uh, because uh, you can really, I don't know, I just find them easier to use. But, yeah, you you could use a story stick. You could even use a, a ruler. Yeah. 
Yeah. Is there any guesswork in in lining up that bearing in, in as far as height goes? I mean, you're trying to hit a, a yeah, center you, you that's want, not there. You want it in in the half, and basically what I do is I put the drill extension rod in there and, and look at it. And you can, with your eye, you can judge whether it needs to come up a little bit or down a little bit. It, it's pretty easy. Now, I will say this about Windsor chairs. They have a lot of room for variance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, naturally, because this kind yeah. of thing didn't exist before. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, so, so when you're putting them together, yeah, you have, an, you have a lot of room for variance. But I'm not spending any time dialing these things in. And I'm, I'm getting everything coplanar level it's you know i'm not sitting there fussing you know spending five minutes to dial this in i'm spending like 30 seconds tops to dial it in it's pretty fast yeah and then and then well what's great is once you got it dialed in for one leg then it's already dialed in for the other leg so you you really only have to make this adjustment uh once or twice during drilling your your um stretchers that's actually something Kyle didn't mention. He's got a couple of nuts on there that you just tighten them slightly so it holds it all locked in place. Mm-hmm. Yep. How does it so, stay? Does it thread into the wood? No, no. It's 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 a tapered. It's a tapered. No, no. I, but the base yeah. of the actual jig is wood, right? Yep. Does the threaded I, rod thread into that base? Yes, I have metal thread threads in there. Okay. Yep. See, I assumed yep. it just—it just—I assumed it was just a round mortise, and it just slid in there, and that nut was a stop. But you're actually yeah. screwing it into there. You're actually screwing it in there. Wow. And yeah, my prototype was doing the set screw method. <laughs> you know, where I had a another another hole in there where I put a, a screw in to hold that threaded rod in place, and that worked fine. Um, but it's but it would kind of tilt the rod just a little bit mm-hmm. against. When, when you did that, not enough to matter, though. But um, I found actually putting a threaded insert in there um, with that um, actually worked quite well. Okay. In fact, better. And it's a lot easier to adjust at the – and I forgot to mention this. So at the total – you know, I mentioned that the threaded rod was 20 um, – uh, 20 threads per inch, which is really fine. So to make gross adjustments is kind of tedious. So what I've done is at the bottom of the uh, of the body, at the very tapered tip of it, is I put a little square drive screw in there. So you can just put a drill in there and drill it up. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Slide it up and down for your gross adjustments and then hand turn it for fine adjustments. Very cool. Does Would it work with a brace or do you have to use a power drill? It would work with the brace if you could use the the shaft in the brace. So you would need probably a three-jawed chuck in your brace mm-hmm. to, to do it. Would but there be yeah. any advantage to that other than, you know, that's the way you feel a chair should be made? Mm, no, there wouldn't be any advantage, but there wouldn't be any disadvantage either. It'd still uh, be faster than trying to align a brace to do the same mm-hmm. job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. I know how I'm making my chairs then. Yeah, the the only the only thing I would say is with a brace, you really want to use an auger bit. So, oh, okay. you know, you're going to have to find some way to attach an auger bit to the end of that shaft, and I don't think a half inch coupling is going to do it. So, well, you could just turn the brace yeah. really, really fast. <laughs> so, so that that would be the only issue is how you actually get your auger bit in there. Here, here here's the next question, Kyle: Is the, can you make it work with a spoon bit? 
Ooh, mm. same same question because most spoon bits are meant for braces and they have that you know little little pyramidal type um, tapered uh, tenon basically. Okay. Yeah, yeah, you'd have the same issue you'd have with the standard auger bit for a brace. Mm. So, but you know, like I said, as I, I, I you know, I do have a couple other ideas that I'm that I'm you know. It's interesting. You know, I don't know how these ideas are coming to me. I think it's probably because I built enough <laughs> chairs, but I haven't built too many to be set in my ways. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I mean, if you've been building chairs for 10, 20 years and this is the way you do it, mm-hmm. you're not going to want my jig because it's going to, you know, you don't want to relearn a, a different way of doing it. you got a process, you got a system. And I totally respect that. And I think that may be why because you know i've had these difficulties and you know i'm just kind of thinking through them and and coming up with this stuff pretty smart absolutely it's it's an amazing joke i agree yeah well i appreciate that so um hopefully everybody else does you know the 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 big windsor chair community if everyone bought one i might make 11 12 dollars <laughs> 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 what you need to do though is um we were talking about these conferences. You need to make sure that they're at the conferences. Um, you know, if, whichever one you're going to go to, bring it with you. Send it to somebody who's at the other one. Let people get their hands on them. Yeah, yeah, that's, sure. yeah that's what I want to do. So, you know, I got, I got one with uh, with David. He's he's taking a look at it. And I've got some interest from some other folks. I will mention this, that, you know, um, I, I've gotten some interest overseas interest actually in this also so um and one of the the first people that gave me a shout out was uh australian chair maker and uh and he used it in one of the classes he was teaching um he he had a jig similar that he was using for post holes and he just went well maybe if i do it this way and this way and basically he's just using a round eyelet to do it it's not quite as accurate as what i have but hey if it's a windsor chair it'll work and uh he goes man that's just brilliant (laughs) so so does this mean that waterfront windsors is actually going to be a business not just something you make up for the podcast i don't know i don't know we'll see we'll see We'll see, but like I said, it's but it's I'm having a blast doing it, and if nothing else, it's 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 how I can give back to the to the Windsor Chair community. So you know, I really support, I really uh, appreciate all the support I've been getting and uh, encouragement. Excellent. Yeah. Way cool. Mm-hmm. So Rex, what are you working on? Let's see. Um, couple things you know the design process is uh, an iterative process and so i just don't knock it out so mm-hmm. um i i've been asked to start teaching a windsor stool class and so it, you know i live in idaho not a lot of uh do you need some jigs for your class and here's here's the reason is, is i believe if we can find a tool that makes the process easier for new students, then we can help um, increase the number of people of, that are doing woodworking. And, you know, I attended fine woodworking this year. I had been really looking forward to do some wood carving 
that was a little more architectural like or do some floral stuff. And so I, you know, I took Mary May's class for a week at Mark Adams and totally had a lot. I mean, it, all I can say is it was extremely pleasurable. I was worried about the number of students. I, I have never seen it is the first class I've ever attended that everybody showed up and their tools were sharp and ready to go. I was amazed. Wow. So, um, it was so fun. And um, so I've been working on some relief carving. I, I have an instructor like, so I have done some stuff that Mary has on her website, but having her there, you know, having a good teacher is really pretty nice when someone will say, Hey, okay, Rex, you're doing nice, but be bold. Take that relief back further. So instead of going a quarter inch down, I'm taking the background down maybe five eighths, you know, and then she says, now make your flower bolder. And I mean, so I was, I came back and was holding both of them up together. I probably ought to post this and just say, Hey, I can see the one from classes way better just because I had someone there challenging and make me push forward a little bit. And that was pretty cool. But anytime we can get a tool to make it easier for students. And so when I'm teaching, we don't have a lot of deciduous trees. We have Boise's, Boise's kind of the city of trees, but they're all planted. They're all urban and urban mm-hmm. trees. If you go to make Windsor chairs, urban trees don't work so well because you kind of want trees that are boring and in the middle of the forest, they grow true and straight and tall. Well, in urban trees, you know, the winds are winding around the buildings and like the crab apple tree in my front yard, it was probably twisted 90 degrees. I tried carving spoons out of it. It's almost impossible. It's just goofy wood. And so it's really good for the fire pit. But um, (laughs) I carve seasoned wood instead of green wood, like which really popular for spoon carvers. I do seasoned wood because that's what we have available here. Mm -hmm. Very arid where I live. We have a lot of a lot of sagebrush. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I will say I've had I've had good luck building chairs out of uh, kiln dried wood. But the more important question I have for you. So at your class, did you see Matt Vanderlist anywhere around there? What's his Instagram handle? (laughs) (laughs) I uh, it's kind of an inside side joke. But anyway. Uh, Mav Vanderlist used, used to uh, used to swoon over Mary May, and uh, and uh, the joke was that she oh. put out a restraining order on him. Oh, you mean like <laughs> class at Mark Adams? I don't know. It yeah. wasn't there. Um, that's that, I mean, uh, so I teach a spoon carving class at least once a month, sometimes twice a month, depending on if if they do it community ed. Where, where do you I, teach, Rex? I teach it. Believe it or not, the local woodcraft in Boise, Idaho. Oh, that's great. And they they called me about three years ago and says, we'd like to have a spoon carving class. We know you've done some carving. Would you be? And I'm telling you, my carving was kind of like Boy Scout camp carving, you know, carving a stick to roast your marshmallows on. Okay, so (laughs) so I said, give me give me six months to put together a curriculum. And so I watched probably every spoon carving video on YouTube I could find at the time. Now there's. You know, and this was four years ago. Now there's probably thousands. I, I think I had hundreds of I'd watched. Did you and start so the I, craze? No, I did not start the craze. <laughs> but for some reason, my class fills up all the time. And I have people that come to class. I have a lot of people come for date night or parents bringing their kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've had people in my class. I kid, I kid you not. Either they were lying 
or they have never like people that don't know the difference between a slotted screwdriver and a Phillips screwdriver Oof. or have never held a hammer in their life. And they walk out with a spoon and midway in class, I, I hold up a spoon blank because I go in there and everybody, I try to keep the variables all the same. And so I walk in there with a spoon blank, probably cut out a alder and I hold that and everybody has one. And a lot of times they're cut out of the same board if I can do it. And so they have the same pattern and I've kind of looked, I've kind of made the pattern such that they can um, carve the outside shape of the spoon with a spoke shape if they have to. Mm -hmm. And um, I come in with a different a couple of different spoke shaves. I have to have a Stanley 151 because just about everybody's spoke shaves patterned after that one a little mm -hmm. bit. And then we use a lot of the, the Wood River Pinnacle ones and because um, they're really similar and they're stainless steel. I don't have to worry about them rusting. It's so by Woodcraft. Yeah. And, and so Woodcraft likes it when I when I hawk their tools. They don't care for it too much when I hawk somebody else's tools. So uh, we stay with a lot of those. Nothing wrong Woodcraft. with that. But we only use a couple of tools. I I stole the whole I, – I, I was carving using my Greenwood tools, so a Sloyd knife and a hook knife. Mm -hmm. And I had all these little cuts all on my fingers because, no, you know, the Greenwood carvers, they don't wear protective gloves. They have grips. And so – but your knives are razor sharp, and if you just touch them, they'll cut you. And so I had little Band-Aids. My friends at work were always teasing me, why do you got Band-Aids on your fingers? And I says, well, you're not a good woodworker. You know, a, a, a woodworker who doesn't have Band-Aids on his fingers may not be a very good woodworker. So they kind of laughed and chuckled, but – um, so we started, I had the Greenwood tools. I didn't want to do that because I really wanted it safe. That's a big deal in, in most construction industries now is safety. And so I saw um, Paul Sellers had a video that he did over in the UK and it showed, he says, here's the method I use because I wanted to find a method I could carve with my children when they were five years old. And the first, first tool I ever got them was a Stanley 151 spoke shave. So I use a uh, number seven, 35 millimeter wide gouge to carve the bowl and then we use a spoke shape for everything else and i use um Veritas. there's a lot of really good hold fast nowadays mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. woodcraft's always selling their tables i wanted something that work with a three-quarter inch or a one inch dog hole so i finally just broke down and, and picked up all the Veritas ones that have a you know a, a knob that you screw down and okay. it'll, it'll it, it holds like iron and that's what we use and Halfway through class, I hold up a spoon blank, and I says, when you guys came in here, y'all got one of these. What is this? And they go, a board or a spoon blank. And I go, yeah. Now look at the one in front of you. The bowl's all carved. What do you have now? And they go, no, I go, no matter who looks at this, you may not have the handle or the back carved, but you've at least got the bowl carved. What is it? And they go, it's a spoon. And I go, so now you're better off now than you were before you came to class. And then we proceed and work on the whole thing. But they come out with some pretty lovely spoons by the time we're done. Uh, every once in a while, one will kind of look at like, you know, your Viking spanker. But for the most time, most part, <laughs> they're kind of, a, they're kind of a, either a server spoon or a stirring spoon. And they look pretty cool. And Alder finishes up really nice. We use butternut sometimes. And I've used African mahogany, wal walnut and cherry a little hard so i don't like to use that as much because i want them concentrating on their cuts more than trying to force it through the wood right mm -hmm. so i like the idea of new tools i mean we've in windsor chair making we've had some really cool innovations the stuff peter galbert's come out with and then his turning tool to help you knock out the legs diameters really fast without even turning your lathe off we're just i mean the educational component on woodworking has never been better than it is now. It's pretty cool. Mm. Instagram really helped a lot. 
Yeah, it is. It is. It's great. So tell us, Rex, so how long have you been uh, woodworking as a, as a hobbyist? Oh, I'm kind of, I was, I was telling some fellows this in, in Boston not too long ago is um, I, I was there after I attended Fine Woodworking Live. And, and it, you know, I, I will say this about the woodworking community. I've been in other communities where, you know, hands are covering their paper. And if someone comes up with an idea, they don't want to tell anybody it's their idea. Um, where, where I went to school to study an engineer, the students were all pretty helpful for one another. We all thought the curriculum was hard enough that we're all going to help one another, even though in the end we're kind of co- competing for grades. We really never, ever looked at it that way. And we will, we helped each other to elevate ourselves, all of us. And I found woodworking to be very the same. You attend any of these conferences and I mean, guys like Mike Pekovich or um, I mean, uh, um, Peter Follinsby or Mary May or any of the people that you think of that write a lot of articles for fine woodworking or the other publications or have books up, they'll sit and say, well, this is where I, I bought this source. They'll talk to you like just your friend next door. It's really mm-hmm. And I, I just found that really intriguing. So as far I'm kind of and so it, it, when I was when I was in Boston, I was, someone was asking me how long. Same question, and I says, well, I'm kind of like just about everybody else. I had I had woodworking in in high school. I had shop, and then where I went to school, it was pretty much an industrial area, and you either took shop and auto mechanics or back. This is back in the old days. I'm trying to be. <laughs> or you took home ec, okay? And it wasn't until later when I was maybe a junior or senior in high school, you started seeing um, boys take home ec and you started seeing women take shop. And, and the truth of the matter is that we all, it was better that way, okay? And we had better ideas and we, and we elevated ourselves just because we had different ideas. And so that mm-hmm. was pretty cool. But after after high school, you know, in fact, even my senior year, the wood shop, they turned into framing and more construction type woodworking. And I wasn't too interested in that. So I stopped doing woodworking then. Then when I went to college, they had a shop and I was recently married. And just like everybody, you know, you're poor as a church mouse. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I need I need a bookcase or I need this. So you go to the shop and make it. And so they no longer have that shop. And it, it's it was a school that was known for having a pretty good industrial arts program, which they don't have anymore. And one of the faculty members there was a fellow named Del Nish, who kind of pioneered, you know, thin, thin wall lathe turnings probably 30 years ago. And Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, they had a really neat program and I got to go in that shop with a fellow that was my boss, who was a pretty good woodworker. And he made like production of like 30 boats so when people are traveling to china for the university they could give out these boats or give out some kind of cool gift and they were really finely done i mean they weren't they were really nice boats i can't remember they were they were like some some ship craft they were really well done not just something you buy in a gift shop that's cheap but i thought man i really want to get good like this fella someday and i really never had a mentor or anything and i just out of a whim just started going to woodcraft and taking classes. And so, the, you know, some of their classes were good and some were pretty beginners. And 
So I learned how to true a board by hand. They had a fellow named Rob Cosman come out. Um, <laughs> I never heard of him. Oh, yeah. Oh, who? Uh, profile. <laughs> it, it, it was really odd. It is Rob looks about 20 years younger than he is. Oh, yes. Yes. And, and he and I, and, become, he, and he has like 23 kids, something yeah, like that. Yeah, he's got, I think, <laughs> I think he literally has, I mean, really, I'm pretty sure it's 11. Yeah, I think I think they've stopped Dang. when they had just had their 11th. He goes, I'm not sure we're done yet or not. So, <laughs> so, uh, but he does have 11 kids. And I think I've met probably five or six of them. And uh, he showed me how to go from rough to ready using hand planes and stuff. And I thought, this is so cool. And these classes, if they don't build your confidence, you know, it's that's it's not a good thing. And so that's the deal is build people's confidence. So they walk away or they see you do that and they go, I can do that. And that's what Rob did for me. He showed me, hey, you can do this. You can, I can cut a dovetail. I can cut a mortise and tenon. I can take a board that's pretty wonky and make it pretty true. And he, he actually tech checks it with, uh, oh, what is it? A, I can't remember. It's a Japanese micrometer. And he goes around and checks it and he gives you a grade, you know, B plus, A minus or whatever. <laughs> and he's checking it down to the thousandth of an inch. You, you know, he wants you to be pretty close. So. It's, yeah. it's pretty fun. It's pretty fun to do those kind of things. So yeah. that's my woodworking career. I'm kind of like like most people at my age say, hey, it's, uh, you know, my my professional work is kind of winding down, and I can afford a tool that I couldn't afford 30 years ago. Maybe maybe it's time to start doing something I want. And I'm lucky enough to be married to. Uh, I married way out of my league, by the way. And anybody <laughs> who meets my wife their heads nodding up and down just, I mean, like as hard as they can do it, they're acknowledging that. And so anytime I, you know, anytime I bring a shaving out of the shop and show my wife, she's going, Oh, that is just beautiful, honey. So I'm pretty lucky in that way. Well, that's, that's, that's great. So, um, yeah, so, so yeah, yeah. Well, my wife just rolls her eyes, but anyway. um, and in, in fact, uh, well, she did get upset when I took one of our prototype stools and chopped it down uh, because I didn't like it. But anyway. Yeah, I know what that's like. I try taking the family blender and then uh, throwing a bunch of feathers in there and grinding them up so you can tie flies with. Yeah, that I understand very well how that works. Yeah. So um, I had to buy a new blender after that. <laughs> yeah, but it, but but when we caught up with each other at Fun Woodworking Live, you you mentioned your impending retirement, and uh, you mentioned that uh, you're looking at maybe doing one of those uh, long term intensives at one of the woodworking schools. Either I think you were looking at North Bennett Street or the Krenoff School. There's a you know there are some really there are some really decent schools, and there are mm-hmm. some, and um, there are some that have been around for a long time. Yes. Most of them happen to be in California or on the East Coast, okay? So there's some really mm-hmm. good ones. The Krenov School, the School of the Northwest, you know, with Gary Rogowski. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I looked at, uh, I had before, I think you guys interviewed him, before Austin Waldo came on this show, I'd been, I, I mean, Austin's always going to be true to my heart. I, I attended, I graduated from the University of Texas. I I, I love Texas. I would have stayed there. If I couldn't buy a job at the time. It was during <laughs> during during the oil bust, and you just I mean, yeah. you know people that had been you know making big dollars were teaching driver's ed when I was going to school there. So there just were no jobs, and so um, I you know and I looked at that school a little bit. There's some on the East Coast. You got 
you know, you got um, the North Bennett Street School in Boston. You've got Furniture Institute of Massachusetts done by Phil Lowe. You've got the Center for Furniture Craftsmanship at Peter Corn. I mean, there are some, there's mm-hmm. a new one in South Carolina. I can't remember the, the fellow that runs that, but it's brand new. And some of the work that I saw that he was doing is just beautiful. Mm-hmm. So, oh, I is that the one the, that uh, JT Thompson is teaching at? I can't remember. But Charleston just, School of Woodworking? Uh, yes, it is. And that's it. And I, and so then I kind of started thinking about it. And I had a chance to chat with Ben Strano at Fine Woodworking Live. And don't trust, don't, just, don't believe a word he says. Yeah, Ben has started asking <laughs> you know, some rather pointed questions. Like, I mean, first of all, yeah, um, Anissa Casales, you know, she lived on the East Coast, but she went to the Krevnov School. And I kind of wonder why she went there. And so I chatted with her a little bit. And um, so, you know, like... Um, there are some schools that really are really, I mean, their work is beautiful, but I kind of lean really towards the 17th, 16th century type furniture. Okay. And so that, that rules out a whole bunch of them. Okay. Because, uh, and I, and I have to be honest, I, I do like mid-century modern. I, I mean, I really do, but I remember growing up in, in this little industrial community and my dad bought this lovely stereo which he still has today kind of the console type stereo and it was you know walnut mid-century mount mm-hmm. modern round curves on the edges and um and mm-hmm. uh, and so it's a beautiful real to real flat record player you know album player. wow cool uh you know back in the days when am ruled and fm fluctuated no one listened to it hardly and um but it's really, you know, it's all tube. It's beautiful. And I just thought no one's going to ever want this furniture. Well, now it's pretty state of the art. But I, I really kept gravitating toward the, the 16th, 17th century. And so that would have been the, the school of Charleston. It would have been North Bennett Street School. And it would have been um, the Institute of um, Phil Lowe's School, the Furniture Institute of Massachusetts. And so I was leaning. So I asked Ben and he says, what do you want to do? And I said this. Then the other thing that has to play is, is my wife is, you know, she grew up in Ohio. Mm-hmm. Yay! Go Ohio. Her, her, her ancestors, <laughs> her, 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 and, and, and so she's got, she's got kind of this, she grew up in a pretty simple family um, pretty, you know, modest income. Her, her father was a university professor in a liberal arts field. And um, where in Ohio, I got to ask. She she grew up in Toledo. Yeah, buddy. I'm yeah. just outside. I grew up in Toledo. And, um, and it, you know, and so her dad, her dad taught at the University of Toledo and he, had, he got his Ph.D. at University of Michigan. And so they yeah. a lot. And, oh, man. Yeah, you're, you're is, just is she your right aunt? Sean's, uh, Sean's neighborhood right there. <laughs> so, um, so a lot of her a lot of her family lived in New York and Pennsylvania. One was a, a painter. I mean, he, he painted, uh, you know, in the 1800s. I mean, during the. Oh, I'm trying to think of uh, the Picasso age. He painted, only he did portraiture, and they're in museums now. Oh, wow. and so she is like a gene- genealogy fanatic. And so when I'm mentioning, I'm thinking about going, the truth is for me, going to like School of the Redwoods or the Northwest um, School of Furniture would have been probably a little more affordable. Um, but I have to tell you, I, I, I just out of a whim, I called when I was in Boston and we were doing just historical touring stuff. And she was going to the, the North New England Historical Society building in 
doing research there. I called up, I had a free day. I usually keep my vacations pretty flexible. And I called up North Bennett Street School and says, hey, I'm here in town. I'd like to come visit your school. Give me a call back. They called me back, I think, that afternoon and had openings the next day. I went and toured the school, and I, I just fell in love with the place. And That's great. Another thing that helped was um, the prior year, I took a spoon carving class taught by Peter Fallenby and then Dave Fisher, the you know, he carves beautiful mm-hmm. bowls, and, and Peter does these this beautiful 16th century furniture, and he, he's a, you know, he loves carving spoons. You yeah. can't be around Peter and not right. carve spoons, I guess. <laughs> After a while, you, you, you end up carving spoons. And I actually sat next to Aspen Golan, who was just, you know, she oh, was just in her senior year at North Bennett and told me some some wild stories about how she got through school. And um, now she's doing really well at Penland. And she, I mean, she has beautiful work and she introduced me to some classmates of her. So I met Jeremy Trisher, who you know, stole the show at Fine Woodworking mm-hmm. last year with all of his furniture. And mm-hmm. so we correspond a little bit and they help me. And now there's some students there that are so friendly. I go, hey, you know, how do I handle the living thing and how do I do this? And so um, they're just extremely friendly and they they're so proud of their school. But I just fell in love with the place. And um, I would the other thing for me is and I wanted to be able to instead of having a, a school where you can go and you take this turning class from a master, which is a great, I mean, this is a great opportunity. I thought as a professional right now, like Mark, Mark Adams was perfect. And so would like uh, center for furniture craftsmanship. And a lot, I mean, North Bennett does this too. They have classes for like professionals or weekend warriors that can come out for two days or five days and take a class. And those are great. And I really enjoyed them. And the masters are really good at their teaching. But what I really wanted is is one that would build on its previous project. So where you go out there and you, you know, you may make your cut your your cutting gauge, and then you right. make a, you know, you make a uh, candle box, and then you make your toolbox, and then mm-hmm. you make this. I kind of wanted something to build on previous ones because the truth of the matter is, I'm not really good at remembering a task if I don't keep doing it. If I come back six months later, if I haven't done it a whole bunch over and over again. I'll forget how to do it. And so it works better for me to have one that builds. Plus, I kind of wonder how hard, you know, if my craft would improve. I need that little bit of pressure where someone's expecting something. So, you know, kind of like if you have a commission and someone says, and I've never done commission. I give all my stuff away or keep it or something, but I've never sold anything. And they we'll see if I ever, I have a business now, so I don't want to, I don't want to have another business. One's enough. (laughs) I've always always thought that, you know, well, you got collections and you got all that stuff, but I always thought having the deadline pressure makes me perform better than not having the deadline pressure. And so that's where I really kind of like, like feel those programmer. I mean, a lot of these programs I've mentioned all have a curriculum and I wanted one that builds on itself. And North Bennett's got such a tradition there. I kind of like the idea of how they walk you through where some of them had a curriculum, but you kind of get to define your own curriculum a little bit. And I thought, no, nah, I kind of want this. I want one that's a little more defined for me. Now, so when you were there, you were at their new location, correct? Yeah. Well, okay. funny. Yeah. Yeah, I visited them years ago, but it was in the uh, old location. In fact, as we're sitting here, I'm wearing my North uh, Bennett Street School uh, T-shirt. But anyway, <laughs> the, the, the funny thing is, is I got an Airbnb last time I was there, and I mm-hmm. stayed there 
like 10 days. And the, to believe it or not, I go, I'm going to go. I, it was on North Bennett Street. Well, I didn't know how long North Bennett Street was. So I said, I'm going to go look at <laughs> the school. So I get to where I think it is, and I'm looking around. And I go, I can't find anything. And I look up, and there's the clock. So I was I was like 100 feet from the, the Airbnb was the old mm-hmm. school. And the new, the new school the, the lecture that um, was given at Fine Woodworking about how they got it, the new school is just beautiful. It's big, got a mm-hmm. lot of lighting. Uh, it is it is a neat, and it's only, I don't know, six blocks away maybe. It, it's, yeah. still a, it's still a short distance. It's on North Street. Now, let me just ask for those of us who are married and understand the impact that has on us going away to live our woodworking dreams, your mm-hmm. wife is okay with a nine-month or, or longer um, re-education? Yeah. So yeah, she is. So here's, here's the deal. Okay. So it's, it's not going to be inexpensive. So I've, I've had to look at finances and retirement. And, um, the joke is, is, uh, if, if, if it doesn't work out right, I have a spot under the, the nearby bridge we can live. Um, <laughs> and that's a joke. That's not going to happen. But, um, she is she is half like she was really keen on on moving to Boston or, you know, somewhere in Massachusetts. She would have been happy with, you know, New York or something like that, because that's where all of her family's from. And she can go visit a lot of grave sites. She's doing a lot of documenting. Even when we were in Boston, we would go visit grave sites oh. in Troy, New York or something. And she would document headstones and then get those published. That's so that a people, hike. Had, people had that information. And so. Hmm. Uh, so that's something she it's really interesting to her. The other thing is, is um, my wife, I mean, she's a very talented person. So right now and, and, and I and we tease each other that we're the champion of dead art. So like I do woodworking. She loves she's a millinar and she makes hats. And so she she actually talked to the millinars in Boston and she knows some of them via email or Instagram. She, she doesn't know them firsthand. And so she thought it would be kind of fun to go take classes from them. And um, mm-hmm. well, so that would be good. And then the, the hard part is being away from grandkids. I, I don't know. But I don't know how that one's going to work. So we'll see. <laughs> so so we'll you're all actually thinking about picking up and moving then. Yeah. I mean, or semi-permanently. Just picking up and moving for yeah. a couple of years. So we'll see if they let me in. So a couple of things is, you know, um, most of the students in those schools, when I was actually touring there, there was a fellow at his bench that had to be north of 40. I don't know how much. And he was, you know, doing keeping up with the students that are 18 through 30. But they get a lot of they get a lot of people kind of like Miguel was. You know, he's walking down the street, says, man, I'm just tired of being an architect, even though everything's going good. And I, I love my work and I love the people I'm with. But, you know, the stress of solving people's problems is tough. And so he quit and went to. North Bennett Street School, and then later on become the president many years later. But just um, they said that's pretty common for their student body. So, you know, and then they their their application process. Some people think it's really robust. If you're going to a major university like University of Texas or Michigan or, you, you know, your 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 local university like you of University of Idaho here, they all want you to put together a seat, you know, a curriculum vitae or a resume. They all want you to put together. When I went to college, you know, a personal statement was, hey, I'm six feet tall and I weigh 180 pounds. Now they want to know what your interests are. And you have to write that personal statement that tells why you want to come to that school and no other school. So I've I've prepared that. Now I have to prepare a um, I'm down to two things. I have 
though they wanted transcripts from all my universities and, really uh, yeah mm-hmm. they they want so the, the thing about me is because i have an engineering background they they i get to waive their math test i don't have to take their math <laughs> so um Although, although, you know, some of the best guys I ever met, I kid you not, some of the best people at math I have ever met are, fr- you know, people at frame houses. They can do it in their yeah. head or mm-hmm. I need a calculator. Um, mm-hmm. or, uh, I never had to use a slide rule, but I need a calculator or pencil and paper, but they can do it in their head. I, uh, I took framing into a bit of a factory type setting and yeah. I, I could just I could bark out measurements and just name them by the 16th. Like just right there, there, you know, like, oh, we're going to have this or this or that's 11. Boom. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, it's a, it's a talent. I tell you. Frame, framers were the best I've ever met. So, um, so anyway, that's kind of, that's kind of where I'm in the application process. I, my engineering resume is really weird. It's, it's kind of like if you've ever seen a university professor's resume, it'll say their name, what school they went to. And they'll be like 30 pages long of all these publications. Well, mine is like many pages long of every project I've ever worked on. And I thought no one's going to want to read about these two landfills I designed or, you know, but you (laughs) use those for winning new projects. You just take out the projects that are relevant to the one you're proposing on and then you send that in. So I got to I got to clean it up. So it's a two page resume like they teach you to do in college and that shouldn't take me very long, but I got to do that. And then the other thing that's, believe it or not, the most difficult thing for me, and maybe you guys can think about this, is putting together your portfolio of all your past work, you know, and you got to go, well, what piece do I want to show? And you got to mm-hmm. go blow the dust, the one that you really like, and then the crafty looking stuff that you go, we're kind of kind of nice that you gave your mom for Christmas last year, but probably not something to get you into the school. You got to go, well, I can't use that. Mm-hmm. You know, the little mm-hmm. the little cattle holder made out of a bourbon, you know, or a whiskey barrel stave. I mean, you ah, that's not work. And so you blow those off and then you think, well, I really don't want to hire a professional photographer. So let's try and see how good we can get. And that's where I have a I'm lucky. I, I actually take most of the photos, but my wife and daughter help coach me along and tell me things to do. So that's great because that's it's fun. probably a long drive to have Leslie Webb take your pictures. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then. You know, when I'm touring, when I was touring in school, they're kind of interviewing me at the same time, saying, why do you want to come here? And I, the truth is, I had never thought that I would enjoy this as much as I do. But teaching people how to do woodworking, I cannot, I cannot think of anything more enjoyable in my life other than, you know, taking my grandkids to the park. But it, it is extremely enjoyable. I, I, and I've, I've told Woodcraft, I go... I do it for free. Um, it, it's just fun to do. So that's why I'm kind of excited to start this stool because it's just, making a chair is pretty cool. Absolutely. Yeah. Making anything is pretty damn cool. Kind of like, kind of like in a, an, an entertainment center and picking some cool color that no one else would ever pick. That, <laughs> that's gonna, it's going to wow everybody for the next 20 years, right? That's pretty uh, cool. In about 20 years, it'll hopefully wow some people. <laughs> no. I, well, heck, some people are already wowed now. If you look at the colors, I'm, it's pretty cool. Well, thank you. Yeah. I, I appreciate that. that. Honestly, that is not the reaction I get from uh, most woodworkers. They're like, oh, it's colored. <laughs> you filled it with plastic. Okay. Well, well, let me tell you. Okay, so let me, let me, let me since you got me on air, I'm going to put in my pitch here for just a second. Is... Um, 
because of my workload, and 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 I will say I'm a workaholic. It's not you know no one demands that I do this, but I I just I'm in my comfort zone at work. So when I come home and I need to space a little bit, the spoon carving works pretty cool. Right. So the, the beauty of the spoon carving is is like the, I'm, I'm getting ready to do a post on Instagram. I'm, it's not quite ready yet. I'm, finish, I'm putting a finish on the spoons right now. Spoon carving you can do pretty fast. You can knock one out, you know, in an hour. And then you say, well, hey, today I'm going to use walnut. Tomorrow I'm going to use cherry. Tomorrow I'm going to use butternut. The next day I'm going to use lignum vitae or whatever you have around you can do, okay? So you can play with different kind of woods. And you can say, oh, I'm trying to think of what's the one I used the other day. I mean, you, you look at the wood and slit slivers come out of it and go into your hands. Uh, Ash. <laughs> oh, wingy? Wingate, that's it, yeah. man. You, you look yeah. at it, and next thing you know, there's slivers, yeah. and you know, how they got across the yeah. room, you don't know. Okay, it is it is just weird. Or and so you know, turning some things on the lathe there give you the same rewards. You can do them pretty fast, and you burn. But you can say, okay, well today I'm going to use tried and true finish, or I'm going to use old masters, or I'm going to use uh, uh, what's the ones you're playing with, Kyle? Now you're using those. Um, super green finishes, Osmo yeah. and Rubio. I mean, you can use those. Yeah. You know, so the, the limiting factor on those guys is do you want to pay as much as it costs for a can? But, you know, you can yeah. buy all kinds of finishes. And I was thinking one I was doing the other day, we call it the John Lee finish. John Lee is a, a great woodworker in the Boise area. He was a veterinarian and he'd been working at what was it's it's called the Birds of Prey. And, and he'd worked there for years repairing damaged you know falcons and raptors and stuff and and we it's he and he'll be the first to say it's not my finish it's just a combination of boiled linseed oil spar varnish turpentine and if you need it japan hardener but man you put that on there until it won't take any more and you you just keep wiping it off and it's got multiple layers i have never seen a box that john lee didn't make that someone didn't pick up and go ooh as soon as they pick it up so <laughs> you can get you to play with all these finishes and you can find mm-hmm. hey I like this one. And I mean, who, who didn't use a wiping? I mean, I, I don't know about you guys, but I put a wiping varnish on one and everybody's saying how easy it is. And you can't mess it up. And you're looking at it and go, this is the crappiest finish I've ever seen. <laughs> okay. It says put on three coats. I put on another one and you do exactly what they say. You know, you wipe it off in 50 minutes. You go, man, it still looks like crap. And then the third one you put on the next day and you wipe it all off and you go, oh, all of a sudden it's starting to look pretty cool. Well, you got to get past that third one or you'll never learn that. Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah. everything has a learning curve, whether it's lack oh, yeah. or lack. Yeah. And, and a lot, yeah, and a lot of it is you don't do what they tell you to do. <laughs> well, a, a lot of them. I, I, I okay, we're going to be on the air here, but I'm going to let. I'm laying my cards down. Okay, finish feet, people. I mean, my here's where I learned this: old master's tongue oil. It doesn't have any tongue oil in it. No. All, all marketing. And I have a friend that was, that's what his, that's what he graduated in college and then with his MBA is marketing. And he was with some other marketings and he was talking to someone from Europe and he says, you know, Europeans are really good, good at this and that. And he goes, what are, what are Americans good at? And they go, oh, you're really good at marketing stuff. You can take the smallest truth and make it look like it's the world's greatest thing. <laughs> and so I'm thinking, you know, so Finnish, Finnish companies, I mean, you know, they're not helping themselves. No, they're really they not. Help. Well, I mean, food safe finish. What's what's a food safe finish? I get that question every spoon class. Anything my, that's my, cured. Pardon me. <laughs> Anything that's cured. 
Anything that's cured is my answer. Agreed. Yeah. As long as you're not spelling volatiles, okay? So they'll go, well, what about this one? And, and you go and you read the back of it, and it says turpentine or, you know, alcohol or whatever. And then you read the other one, it says cold-pressed flax oil or, <laughs> you know, flaxseed. And you go, yeah. well, they're both. Just make sure this one doesn't have any volatile that's just going to take for – it's going to take 60 days before it'll cure. This mm-hmm. one will cure couple of days you just got to make sure you can't smell the volatile so and if and they'll go well how do you know that and i go well do you know what a msd sheet is now they're called i mean uh they're called M- or yeah msds is what no they're they're, they took the m out it's the SDS term. Term. i think they're called an ms now or something like that and and i says if you read those they're all perfectly fine as long as it's cured and so yeah yeah, I, I've been experimenting with this one green finish, and unfortunately, the cure time on it is 30 days. And oh, I'm, <laughs> oh, I'm almost at, yeah, Sean, we talked about it. It's this yeah. uh, Livo stuff. Uh-huh. And I'm almost at the 30 day mark. So I'm going to be oh. bringing this up and seeing how durable it is. So um, I was not too impressed with the durability after a week, but we'll see after 30 days. It's not so much a finish, it's a commitment. It is a commitment, <laughs> it's, it's it a relationship. Involved. I, uh, I, it is, and I don't, I don't think I'm going to ever use it again. But we'll see, we'll see. Maybe it'll hold up great, and I'll just say, okay, you know, well, if I ever, if I ever, you know, uh, become a official chair maker and sell any chairs, it'll be there's, you know, I go, <laughs> I'm done with your chair, but please allow 30 days for the finish yeah. to dry. <laughs> is, that, is that just one coat, or is that all the coats? That's all the coats. It's, oh, okay. but you, you can put all the coats on in, you know, uh, uh, you know, two, three days. But, you know, they, they said, you know, for to get the hardness that they need, it needs a full 30 days to well, cure. So, Kyle, I got plenty of purple shellac laying around if you ever need a finish. <laughs> oh, believe me, believe me. Yeah, yeah. On these, on these jigs I'm doing, it's shellac. It's boom. You should dye them colors. Oh, I could, I could, I could. Personalized. Yeah, yeah. they should all be like green. <laughs> they're, they're, I actually really like shellac. It's a beautiful film. It, it really is. is. It is. Yeah. So, um, so, so you're, you're doing all this. So you got to uh, put your portfolio together and all that. So, what is your favorite pro- project in your portfolio? My favorite project in my portfolio, I, I brought one home. I, I was working on it at work a little bit today. Um, okay, this, this is, this is it. I'll just tell you the story. It is, it is my Windsor settee. I, I, um, it, sits, it sits in the entryway of my house. Um, mm-hmm. And, and I, 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 I will fess up, okay? So it was, it was actually... Uh, I think it's a fella out of Ohio named Mike Mike Harrell, and Mike did some really interesting things. He a long I mean this is a long time ago, maybe twenty something years ago, kind of when the only chair makers were what is it Dave Sawyer and Mike Dunbar and maybe Curtis Curtis yeah uh, and Curtis Curtis is the other yeah. one yeah Curtis Buchanan is the other one I was thinking so about that time. He goes, you know, I really like make. Oh, actually, there's another fellow out of Ohio, Richard. Um, oh, he's been doing them a long time. His chair. Oh yeah, right. I know who you're talking about. Right out of Toledo, his chairs are yeah. beautiful too. And so, you know, these guys and and they kind of know each other probably. And and um, he was Mike was just sitting there thinking, like, you know, Woodcraft. I think asked him to start teaching them, and he kind of thought of some easier ways to do it. And so, the the spindles I think come out of. They're they're 
um, red oak. The seeds mm -hmm. are poplar. I think they're harvested by um, the Amish people. Mm -hmm. um, the hard rock maple the legs were already pre-turned for me so i didn't have to turn them and mm -hmm. you know turning skills now are probably okay i could muddle through it but i am not a lathe turner by any means um and i you know the first tool i ever used was a spoke shave and, and I, I have to tell you that there and just taking wood off with that you only hold it you know like if you were to try and keep a baby bird in your hand and <laughs> just a you gentle you know, touch a gentle touch you know no death grip on it um, using a draw knife, I, I just, it's magic. And that wispy sound that you hear as curls are coming off. Um, we used a, instead of a scorp and a travisher, we used a carving gouge mm -hmm. and, yeah, you know, a, a festool sander to, to carve out the seat. Um, but it was, and then you drill the holes kind of like you were talking about the direct method with the boards and, mm -hmm. you know, so I did a I did a comb. So my settee is a continuous arm settee. Oh, nice! And then usually, and so and it sits too. And I got to carve the seat out how I wanted. And um, the fella who was teaching me had gone back, and Mark Carroll had taught him how to make them. And so um, Scott Taylor here in town had probably done oh I don't know twenty chairs by then, and he was teaching the class. And then I says, you know, we really need a finished class. So he says, well, we're going to use general finishes, and we stained it cherry and then we painted it on with black milk paint and then you know the the latex type not the real yeah. not the old-fashioned kind right then he handed me a screwdriver and he handed there's a couple people in the finish class handed me a screwdriver another guy a clawed hammer and he had like a chain or something i go what are these for he goes now you got to distress it and i go well show me how he goes i am not touching your chair beating on it you're first <laughs> so we, we kind of knocked it about where we thought it would wear and then we sanded some of the black back so the cherry could show through and then we um probably used shellac because those were oil-based we used a shellac yeah. put on it and then we then we put on well wait a minute i take it back the cherry stain was was oil-based then we put shellac over that then we put okay. a latex milk type paint over that and it held and it's still holding today and then we put a, a clear poly semi-gloss over the top and um the day the day the day when i when i i let it cure at his house for a couple of days and then, then i went and picked it up and and you know i'm i'm there spraying with you know with with the other fellows we're changing we're doing different stuff and so you know it was my first experience with putting on a sprayed finish but the beauty of this is is it's something i could put and and it was i was happy enough with it and if you look at it like any woodworker, I could point out all the mistakes, but I've learned not to do that. Just, just <laughs> shut up and walk. It's a valuable lesson. You know, yeah. and, and, and I was thinking about this piece when we were talking about Kyle's drilling jig. That You know, some of my some of my pieces are a little wonky, you know, I mean, the way they're drilled in, and um, but not bad. And I just, um, I brought that home, and I, I think I surprised my wife that I could actually make something that beautiful. So I just think it's kind of cool. It's <laughs> You know, it's not a Charles Buchanan chair or um, some of the other fellows we mentioned, but for me, it's it's pretty good. And it was nice to be able to do something that nice. And so it would be kind of nice to have other people to have that experience or help them have that experience. Mm. Exactly, exactly. Well, Rex, thanks, thanks a bunches, but let's move on to our fortnightly beer choices. Here, here. 
So, I went and bought something just special, so I had something to talk about. Okay. Well, <laughs> good, I'll, good, because go I don't, because I don't. So uh, I'm just drinking the, uh, I guess, I guess our new favorite house beer, which is the Carback uh, Daymaker. I'm going to make you a, write that in, Kyle, because I can't spell Carback. But yeah, I will, I will, I will. But, which, uh, what style is that? IPA. So, okay, um, it's fantastic. Well, so Diami, what are you drinking? Um, I have been drinking. Uh, one of my new favorite breweries is Sloop Brewing, which is up in Hopewell Junction, New York, which is a, a ways upstate. Um, I don't know that they have much distribution outside of New York, but uh, I've, tonight I've been dr- drinking their Hoppy Pills, which is a wonderfully light, slightly hoppy pilsner. Um, there's nothing outrageous about it. It's not dank at all. It's it really is a nice smooth pills. With a, with a touch of hoppiness, but it's very easy drinking, a, a very nice, smooth summer beer. Um, but in addition to that, I want to talk about something else uh, that I've discovered over the summer is um, one of my early summer projects was putting in a fire pit in the backyard. Mm-hmm. And uh, for many of the same reasons I've not gotten into the shop for months, uh, we've not visited the fire pit for months. But <laughs> what we found was that using a regular glass, pint glass, um, the beer heated up before you could finish it if you were sitting outside by the fire in, you know, summer temperatures. Hmm. So I picked up, um, I think I got them on REI. They were the cheapest stainless steel insulated pint glasses I could find. They're from Coleman. They're nothing fancy. Um, mm-hmm. And I've been using it all summer, and I've got two of them, and it's, an, it's one of the vacuum-insulated vacuum stainless steel glasses right. like you get from Yeti or somebody. Um yeah. And these are just cheap ones from Coleman, and they're pint glasses. They have mm-hmm. lids that I don't use. Um, and even in the house, I have found it wonderful because the beer stays colder in the glass longer. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I, it's my preferred pint glass at this point, so I would highly recommend cool. that. Well, fantastic. And it's a typical pint, just, just a, a slanted wall cup. Right. Yeah, this this particular no one again. It's, to it. it's from Coleman. No. I think right. I got them on REI. It was the cheapest ones they had. Um, it's got a little bit of an indent at the upper lip to take the plastic top that kind of mm-hmm. has a gasket that seals in. I've never used the plastic top. Um, the bottom is not vac- vacuum insulated. The bottom is just a single sheet of stainless. But oh. the reason they do that is because the bottom is recessed a little bit. So in the bottom, there's a notch cut that you can use as a bottle opener. Now. I'm drinking oh most of cans these oh, days, wow. <laughs> uh, but you can use it as a bottle opener. But even nicer than that is it has a rubber gasket around the bottom. So like right now, it's on the top surface of the entertainment center, and I'm not using a coaster. Yeah, that's nice. It's a stone that is coaster. Nice. That is nice. Yeah, and it, but the fact that it's insulated, it doesn't sweat anyway. So um, I, I like I said, it's it's my preferred pint glass at this point. I've I've discovered I, it's a really nice way to drink a beer that it doesn't warm up nearly as much. So I wouldn't drink like. Mm. Uh, um, like a Belgian out of it, something that you want to be a touch warmer, something you want in the mid fifties. But for mm-hmm. an IPA or something you want cold, it's fantastic. Mm. Yeah. Oh, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that I got tagged in a post yesterday from a friend of the show, Brian, many time guest Brian <laughs> Brazil. Mm-hmm. Um, I. In his neck of the woods, he found a Shiner Wicked Juicy IPA six pack for five ninety nine, and he said for six. He said for six bucks, I'm going to see what Texas thinks about IPAs. So 
I don't know how that went. He didn't post after, so maybe yeah, not so good. I have not, <laughs> I have not tried that myself, but I don't think I can buy it here for six bucks. A I, I was in the store today and I didn't see it, so I don't know why it's in Rhode Island and not Texas. I, or Ohio, I love but you, Kyle, but Texas beer, is not where I go for a juicy IPA. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I've seen the beer, actually, but I've never tried it. I mean, Shiner's usually decent, but it's nothing too special. There you go. Yeah. So uh, I've got a, 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 a local to Ohio brewery, Jackie O's. I don't know if they get out there uh, in distribution. but We name uh, uh, Reservoirs after her, but not beer. Yeah, <laughs> around here or around Athens, Ohio, where Ohio University, not Ohio State University, OU, anyway, uh, is where Jackie O's is. Anyway, uh, their Summer Spruce Tip IPA, which is not as bad as it sounds. It sounds good. Is it, is it actually no. like sprucey? It's not. It's not resinous. It's oh. not sprucey. It, that's the thing. Like I've had resin from Six Point mm-hmm. is more mm-hmm. sprucey than this is. Okay. Is it like, is it dank at all? No. It's oh. light and it's it's very drinkable. It's almost sessionable. Okay. It's it's but it's great. The name just I think oversells it a bit. What uh, a a light sessionable drinkable IPA is not a bad thing. It's just true. not what this is describing. Well, no, yeah, they they use the words on their label resinous, coniferous, and delicious. Yeah, it's it's not that. It sounds resinous. smooth, light, not, delicious. Yeah, it's not Never. that coniferous. What's the um? What's the uh, what's the alcohol content? Seven. Oh, so it's it's strong enough. It so is. It is. My it's hoppy just, pills is not, only five. It's not pungent, like you you you're not. I guess pungent might not be the thing, but like you, I I know that that like stripping pine. Mm. flavor and yeah. it just wasn't there it's actually pretty good like it's smooth it's it's because i'm not a huge fan of those heavy heavy new england or double ipas that are they they grow on you too. yeah i know yes. i know my wife loves them and so i i've been growing more and more accustomed to them i have to save uh next time i get some i'll have to try to save you i don't know how i would give it to your wife but um <laughs> i have to try to save you some alchemist mm. mm-hmm. mm. anyway um, anyway, Rex, what do you got? Well, you're going to be disappointed, okay? Never, never disappointed. So, so I, I wanted something from the West, so I stopped in and I picked me up some uh, Wyatt Earp's original sarsaparilla. Oh my God! <laughs> oh wow! And so, um, you know, I, I can't really talk about the. I, it's it's made in Washington. It uh, it's okay. I can't say it's the best root beer I ever had, but it's not bad. But to make it up to you, if I can figure out a way, next to next to my office is a place called Barbarian Brewery, and they kind of use old barbarian methods. And I guess their beer is pretty good. I'll see if I can figure out a way to ship you some. <laughs> oh, that'd be great. <laughs> that'd be fantastic. That'd be awesome. I I do want to say because I did go to the store today, and I don't know if this is everywhere, but I the tag on the in the in the liquor store where seasonal beers was hanging off. I went, okay, what what seasonal? And there were some pumpkins, man. Yep. I mean, it's Oktoberfest season. Yeah, it's August. I know that was my complaint last year. It's way too hot for an Oktoberfest. Good breweries that make actually good pumpkin ales. No such thing. They're they're out. No fatheads. That's legitimately made with with smashed pumpkins. I, I'm not saying 
real breweries don't use pumpkin in their beer. I'm saying okay. there's no such thing as a good pumpkin beer. No, oh, okay. Uh, they're okay. all like they're all browns with some fruit. But anyway, yeah. it's. It, but like seeing that, I went, oh my god! Like Shipyard was out and Fatheads was out and uh, Sam Adams Oktoberfest remains one of my absolute favorite beers, and it's out it, already. And it's like it, it's 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 eighty five degrees and a thousand percent humidity. It's too hot yeah, to drink Oktoberfest. Right. Oktoberfest should start it? in October and go to December. Is what it should do. Mm-hmm. Well, here in here last year, I think it was first of September or at least by the end of September, we already had Christmas ales. Yeah, no, and yeah. at this schedule, I mean, it's worse than Hobby Lobby. We're going to be, <laughs> you, know, you know, on many things, I understand, you know, they why they bump up and, you know, you're rushing to get to the next holiday or the next celebration. Yeah. Sure. But the thing about seasonal beers is they're so dependent on on temperature, like not the temperature of the beer per se, but the temperature of the, the greater environment. Like right. the beers you drink in the winter when it's frigid outside are different than the beers you drink in the summer when it's a thousand degrees outside. Absolutely, so, I don't want a winter warmer in September when it still could be seventy. Exactly, like a, a a fat tire. Um, what's the citrus IPA they make? It's absolutely phenomenal. Um, Citradelic. It's mm-hmm. it's like mm-hmm. the best summer beer, but mm-hmm. it's not a winter beer. No. And, um. No. So I'm surprised. I don't. It, it amazes me, and it's an industry wide thing. It's not a particular brand. Why they come no. out so early? Because you want to bring it out when the season is appropriate. Yeah, it's they're trying to. I guess it, it's it's not my use case, but maybe people buy beer for for later use. Yeah, I, I buy beer to drink uh, that night. <laughs> <laughs> I, I so. usually. You know, some of the beers last a week or two in the fridge, maybe as much as a month, but I'm not buying beer, you know, I'm not I'm not going out now to get hey, what would I like in October? Let's let's see what right. I can stock up right. on now. Right. And that's that's like the case we ran into last year. My dad loves this particular Christmas beer and it was sold out by Thanksgiving. You couldn't find it anywhere. I was like, seriously, like why? Why? But is it at least a winter beer that you can age? Because some of these IPAs you want to drink them the day they come off the line. Yeah, no, it, it was it was uh, that was the the twelve dogs of Christmas, yeah. which is the old Great Lakes. Now, yeah, to to uh, to hark back to Rex's comment, I think it's all marketing. They can market it as a seasonal beer; it's something special. So the sooner they can get it out there, the sooner you're going to buy it. Oh yeah, fair. yeah. <laughs> fair. That's it. And it, it was just, it was, it was enough. And I haven't seen it in yeah. like the grocery store. This is one of the liquor store. And yeah. I went to one I don't normally go to. And I, I don't know that my normal guy quite has the displays out yet for the, the fall stuff when we're a good month plus away from that, even on the calendar, let alone the weather, you know, it's just not, but I, I guess you like, yeah, I mean, you said it's industry wide and, Everybody involved here, we're all in different parts of the country, so you're, yeah. everything's different. I mean, fall well, I think for we're all seeing is summer for us. Come out already. Yeah. 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 It's just, but like, yeah, the, the, the Texas idea of what is a fall beer or when it's appropriate may be different than ours. You know, yeah. And see, I, I would say there's never an appropriate time for fall beer in Texas because it's never cold enough. <laughs> Yeah, fair. I would. You're you're exactly right. So, you know, that's why we were drinking uh, the Christmas ale in September. Yeah. See, I've got a big (laughs) bottle of Allagash Dubell in my fridge that's probably nine months old because it's been too hot to drink. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, I've got I've got too much founders. Oh, <laughs> too I saw much. a whole bunch of founders yesterday, and I I managed to pick up Sloop and not it. <laughs> oh yeah, I've got I've got KBS, CBS, and Backwoods Bastard just sitting mm-hmm. on a shelf in the basement, just waiting, waiting and waiting. And my dad got a case of it this year too, so. <laughs> I know, I know what I'll be doing at Christmas. There you go. Having, having some of that. Anyway. Well, with all that, so uh, so where can they find us? So, Rex, where can they find you on the interwebs? Oh, I'm really, I'm really creative. Rex Hansen on, Indi- on, on uh, Instagram, the only social media that matters. Damn straight. That's right. So, <laughs> so Diami. It's a trend here, Diami. I, I got a wave going. So, Diami, well, where can folks find you? I can be found on Twitter at Diami Plotky because I'm old. What is this Twitter you speak of? It is. Uh, it's is where the cool kids new? remain. <laughs> um, and I can be found on Untapped at Penultimate Beer. And mm-hmm. um, I own the website PenultimateWoodshop.com. And if you would be interested in what I was doing in like 2016. I would invite you to go check it out, please. <laughs> I, belong, I, I actually check that out every once in a while. <laughs> well, I, I hope each time you check it out, you go further and further in the past, because unfortunately it has not moved into the future. I, I keep waiting for someone to add a new photo. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so Sean, where can folks find you? Uh, I'm uh, Sean W78 on Instagram and many other social medias, including Untapped, like the Ami. How about you, Kyle? Uh, I'm at uh, Barton.Kyle on Instagram, the platform that matters. <laughs> and that just about wraps up this show. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the show on iTunes or Google Play Music. Uh, and uh, just search for the Modern Woodworkers Association. There, there, you'll never be, uh, you're, you'll never miss any of our exciting episodes. While you're there, leave us a review. And I'd just like to thank you for listening. Um, it's occurred to me over listening to the last few episodes that our ending is too long, so I'm not going to read the ending. But I'm just going to say, please <laughs> tell your friends to listen to the podcast because we just sit around and we talk about woodworking for an hour or two or four. Um, so what, what what better way to spend? four hours than listening to us. That's right. We hope your commute has been safe and sound. Exactly. So <laughs> what, what everyone should do is, um, since I've not mentioned it yet, glue a bunch of timber strand together, get Kyle's jig and drill the most accurate stretcher holes you can imagine in your timber strand. 